Well, uh, if you're visiting with us, uh, the month of June, we always do something different and special around here, and this year was no exception. Um, I decided to bring back uh, some, uh, some of the guys that have been on our staff that are now out serving the Lord in different places, and we started with Lonnie Skiles, who's in Pennsylvania, and uh, he was a part of starting Big Valley Grace uh, years and years ago, was on our staff for a long, long time. Then I had Pastor David Oates, uh, who was here the second weekend. Last weekend, Anson McMahon was here. And this weekend, we actually had a, a man by the name of uh, Paul Tripp, who was scheduled to be here. And he had some medical issues. I think he actually had to have some, some surgery. And so I got a phone call. Uh, I was literally walking on a beach and um, got the phone call and knew something was up because the staff here is really, really good at what they do, and uh, they can handle just about everything. And they said, hey, listen, uh, Paul Tripp can't make it, and so we're gonna do the video series here, but uh, you know, what about uh, a speaker? And so I got on the phone, and I called Dave Marston up, and Dave Marston, you know, basically before I even finished the sentence said, I'll, I'll be there. And uh, I want to tell you a little bit about him. You can read uh, some data on the back of this uh, about him, but I want to give you a little personal thought about Dave Marson. It was a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away that um, I was asked to come to Liberty University and serve on an advisory board uh, at the college. This is when uh, Jerry Falwell was still alive. And um, Dave uh, Marston was a professor there in the youth ministry department. And so I went back, really didn't know Dave at all, and I, would, I spent, I don't know, 10 years on that board, so at least once or twice a year I'd fly back to Virginia and I'd speak there at the college, and, and I slept in, in Dave and Sue's home, and they had a daughter at the time. And so over 10 years or so, we became really, really close friends. There came a moment uh, when we had an opening here. I called Dave and said, hey, Dave, why don't you leave that place and come here and, and do real ministry in a church? <laughs> and uh, he did. He came out here and served at Big Valley Grace for a number of years. He's back in Virginia now uh, as an associate at a church, an executive at a church. But uh, I want you to know that... Um, you know, one of the reasons why I'm standing here is because God brought into my life some really good people uh, who have been a part of uh, shaping my life. And some of uh, those people are in this room right now. And there are some like Dave who don't live here anymore. But I'm not standing here if it wasn't for the influence of, of Dave Marston in my life, his friendship. I can't tell you how much I've, I've learned from him about a lot of things, but especially uh, ministry. And uh, uh, I, I, I know, I, I just know that I'm not standing here today if it wasn't for, for Dave and his influence in my life. And uh, one of the things that you're going to learn today, and you need to get your pencils out and, and get them ready, because uh, there's lots of weighty questions that the world is asking, and one of those is the question of, of suffering, pain and suffering. Why is there pain and suffering? If you believe in, in a God, you know, and there is this God, and he's supposed to be all loving, you know, like you guys say, why is there pain? Why is there suffering? And it's really one of the weighty questions of life. And one of the things that Dave is gonna do is, is he's gonna explain it to you from 
what the Bible teaches, and you all need to know this and understand it, because too many Christians, when pain and suffering come into their life, somehow walk away from the faith. It becomes a wedge in their life between them and Christ. And, and, and so you need to get your pencils ready because today is really a, a great theological message that we all need to know and, and understand and comprehend. And so do me a favor, welcome up my friend Dave Marson up here. We do that. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, wow, you guys are awake. Took about 10 times to wake up the middle crowd there earlier here. Well, I am thrilled to be here, and this really is like home for, for my wife and I and even my, my daughter back in Virginia. Um, they couldn't be here, but they send their greetings. But uh, Big Valley Grace uh, has made a huge impact on my life and the life of my family, and uh, we will eat forever be indebted to what God did for us when we were here. And many of you were here then, and, and uh, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for, for being the congregation that you have been and letting God use you. Uh, our family is very connected with this church. My, my daughter, when we moved out here, Rick just told you, we moved out here in 2000. My daughter was single, so she came with us. And uh, she was studying. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist right now. Uh, funny how God works. Uh, I told the er earlier crowd, God, God's got a sense of humor and God's great. Because God knew me and he knew that there was going to, I was probably going to need a lot of therapy. <laughs> you know, a lot of counsel. And, and that I probably couldn't never, never be able to afford it, you know. And so I got a kind of a live-in counselor. You know, I just call my daughter and say, come on over here, I'm getting ready to do something crazy. But, uh, <laughs> but she came out, met her husband here at Big Valley Grace. They met in the singles ministry here at Big Valley. They got married right here on this stage. Rick and I officiated the wedding. And a uh, few years later, as it usually happens, there came along a little couple of little guys. Uh, she's got two Two, two sons, eight-year-old and a 10-year-old now. They were just babies when, when, you know, when we were here. Uh, eight-year-old and a 10-year-old. And um, they are the joys of my wife and I's life. Uh, nothing like being a grandparent, is it? Man, you just take those kids and play with them and spoil them and hype them up on sugar and caffeine and <laughs> give them back to their parents. I love you know, I love it. They, they tell me all the time, they, Papa, they call me Papa, Nana and Papa. Papa, Papa, we love coming to your house. <laughs> Daddy won't let me do this. And it's like, yeah, I, I, I know, I know. <laughs> but um, they are a blessing. Uh, that the eight-year-old was a preemie, born right here in doctor's hospital. He was a little less than three pounds when he was born. But he's gone way beyond that now. In fact, the other day I took him to he, uh, Taco Bell and to order. And this is not an exaggeration. We go in there and he gubs up and the lady says, what will you have? He says, six soft tacos, please. <laughs> and he ate them. 
I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a normal meal for this, this little, I mean, skinny as a rail. You look at him, it's like, there isn't even room for six soft tacos in that body. But, uh, but uh, I love him to death, and I'm, I'm convinced, I told the, two early, the earlier service and yesterday, uh, I, I don't know what God has for them, and I don't know what their professions and ministries might be. I'd like to think maybe they're going to be pastors or in the ministry, but if they're not, I'm convinced that their other profession, that they're probably both going to end up being dictators of small countries. Because <laughs> they kind of take after their... Their, their papa. Well, are you ready to hear from God? Yes. Not me. We're going to look in, into the word and we want to hear from God. And Rick's kind of already given you the, the crux of the message. So if you have your Bible, open up and we're going to start in uh, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. So open up your Bible and kind of go all the way to Revelation and then flip back a few pages and you'll run right into 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 9 and 10 as a jumping off party to kind of give us a running start as we talk about the biblical view of suffering and pain and what's God's real intent behind that. Uh, let me pray and ask God to bless now as, as he's going to teach us today. Lord, we're, we're grateful for your word that it's a light and a lamp and that it's, uh, if we read it and take it to heart and assimilate it and meditate on it, uh, that it is food for us, it will grow us and develop us and make us more like you. And so this morning, that's our prayer. Lord, I pray that you get me out of the way. And Lord, I pray that you would just give me clarity of thought and expression that we will hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Peter chapter 2 says this, verse 9. God says, but you are a chosen race. You're a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellence of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God, and you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now you just heard me read that. You looked at it in your scripture and say, well, what does that have to do with pain and suffering? Well, we got to start here before you can ever even begin to try to understand how God uses pain and suffering and, and how we're to approach it and, and, and how God uses it. And we start here because we need to know who we are where we came from and, and where we're going. Do we have a purpose? Because if you understand that, then the pain and the suffering part of it makes a lot better sense. Because if we're just thrown here on this earth, abstractly thrown into the middle of things, God maybe, he creates us and just throws us down here and leaves us alone and said, I'll see you later. You know, then dealing with pain and suffering does become a problem. It does become an issue if we're just left down here dangling and, and wandering around trying to figure, figure things out for ourselves. But that's not what scripture says. I just read to you, <clears throat> and what did it say? It said we are a chosen people. 
We're a chosen people. We're not an accidental people. We didn't wander into becoming a people. He didn't wander into choosing. He, with intention, chose us. Scripture says we were, we were chosen before the foundation of the world to be his elect people. And so God chose us. We are not accidents. The fact that we are the people of God didn't just happen. It also says that we're a holy priesthood and we are God's own possession. We're not just chosen. That's one thing. It's great to be chosen, but we're not only chosen. He sees us as a valuable possession. A valuable possession. We're not just some junk laying around the house of God. We're special, unique creations. That's what Psalm 139 tells us. You are a special, unique creation of God. We are chosen and we are a favored possession of his. We have intent. It says, verse 10, you were once not a people, but now you are a people of God and you had not received mercy, but you've received mercy now. And if you look back up in verse nine, look at the middle of verse nine, it says, we are a people for God's own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellence of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have a purpose, purpose, and that purpose is to proclaim the excellencies of Christ to a lost, hurting, dying world. Right? Is, is that what it said? Yeah, it's, you just, you just, it's right there. Go ahead and look at it. That's our purpose. Now, yeah, we have jobs and we have to work and we have to have places where, you know, we have to earn money to take care of ourselves and our families and all that. But, that, but, but what we have to remember is that's not our primary calling. God didn't throw us down on this earth to just live a life and make a living and that's it. He put us here and he chose us and we have the amazing privilege of being his instruments to where he can bless lost people. So we have a purpose to our lives. So now when you understand that, that's why I started here. When you understand that, then this thing of pain and suffering makes a lot better sense. And so now what I wanna do is, is, is I'm just gonna give you four or five principles from scripture on what, what's this whole thing about pain and suffering? How does it fit into God's plan, into God's world? How do you look at it? How do you, in your life, deal with it? Listen to some more scripture. Psalm chapter six, the psalmist says this, be gracious to me, O Lord, for I'm pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed and my soul is greatly dismayed. But you, O oh Lord, how long? We got the psalmist here crying out to God. What's he crying out about? He says, I'm hurting. I got issues, I've got problems. Life is squeezing me. And you, okay, isn't it what it says? And you don't seem to be paying a lot of attention. I'm paraphrasing now, okay, for some of you. I read it, now I'm paraphrasing. You don't seem to be paying a lot of attention. How long? You know, that's how he ended that verse. How long, and, and the, the inference is, how long will you ignore me, God? 
because I need you. I'm calling out to you. Psalm chapter 77, the psalmist again is saying, will the Lord reject me forever? Will he never be favorable to me again? Has his loving kindness ceased forever? Has his promise come to an end forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious or has he in anger simply withdrawn his compassion? Do you ever feel like that? And by the way, can I just inject right here? You know, and it's okay to feel like that. You say, what? Your pastor's telling me it's okay to be? Yeah, you know, because God wants you to be honest with him. God wants us to cry out to him so that he has the opportunity to respond to us. And he has the opportunity to do within us what he wants to do. And then Psalm 83, verse 1 says this, Oh God, do not remain quiet. Don't be silent. Oh God, do not be still. Why did I read those verses? What's the, what's the singular thread running through all those verses? Life is tough, right? Life is hard. Life is a struggle. Now, we don't like to hear that, but it's true. We have to come to the conclusion, if we are going to understand how God uses pain and suffering and hardship in our lives, we've got to understand that, that right here, the first thing, the, the bottom premise to all of this is, life is gonna be tough. God himself, Jesus, when he walked this earth, in John chapter 16, verse 33, here's what he said. I told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on this earth, you will have many trials and sufferings. Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Now, did we get that? that? That's the foundation, we gotta get that first before we can go any further. Jesus says, look, I've told you things and I've told you a lot of things and I'm trying to give you comfort and grace, but you have to understand that in this world, you're gonna be smashed and beaten up and bruised and roughed up. But be of good courage, I've overcome the world. What's Jesus saying? It's like, it's natural and normal. Stop running from it. Do you find yourself doing that? I've done that. You be honest and say, yeah, I've tried to run from pain. You know, I've tried to run, I've tried to hide. I've tried to medicate. That's kind of what our culture does. Uh, somehow we, we've let the culture and philosophers and even some preachers tell us that, you know, we're supposed to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And if you live for Jesus, everything's wonderful. Well, that may be true for a few people you know, and, and that may be true if, you know, you're driving a, you know, Rolls Royce and you got a private jet, you know, but for, for most of us, that's just not true. Oh. 
There's going to be trouble here. So stop running and hiding. Because you know what happens? The more you run and hide and try to medicate, it just gets worse. Because you come out of the hiding, you come out of the running, you come out of the medication, and guess what? It's still there. So, so let's find a solution to deal with it instead of run from it. Because God doesn't hide from us when we have trouble, even though we might think that. He takes no pleasure or delight in our suffering, and he doesn't turn a deaf ear to our prayers. But he does want us to understand how he uses pain and suffering. Romans chapter 8 says this, and since we are his children, we are his heirs, and in fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if, listen now, if we share his glory, we must also share his suffering. And that's an important principle. We want the good stuff of life. We want God's blessings, but we forget, and scripture says that why do we think we should be treated or get any better treatment and condition in life than Jesus himself got? And so we have to understand that part of our existence, part of the, the human condition is there's going to be suffering. So here we go. I'm going to give you five principles for dealing with and how God wants to use and how he uses suffering in our life. Number one, sometimes God uses negative circumstances in your life and in my life for, for, the, for the express purpose of getting us out of our comfort zone so he can reveal his plan to us. Everybody understand the concept of comfort zone? Yeah? How many of you like the comfort zone? All right, the rest of you are liars. You didn't raise your hand. We like to be cool and comfortable, collected, pampered, no sharp objects. But God understands. Now, isn't this true? God understands when we are cool, collected, and comfortable, the tendency, isn't it? It's just human nature. The tendency is we stop listening to God. We stop spending time with God because life is good. And hey, this thing's working pretty good. I'm just, hey, God, just hang right there. And if I need you, I'll let you know. Isn't that kind of the way we, we tend, Satan gets us doing that? God, you, I love you. You're okay. Stay there. I'll let you know if I need you. And God says, oh, it doesn't work that way. God wants to get us out of that comfort zone so he can reveal his. Now, we just read 1 Peter. He has a purpose for us. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says this. I, God speaking to us through Jeremiah. I know the plans that I have for you. I know the plans that I have for you. Plans for your welfare and not for your destruction. To give you a hope and a future. I know the plans that I have for you. They're not plans for your destruction. They're plans for your welfare. For what purpose, God? To give you a hope and a future. God has an individual, personalized plan for each one of us. But generally speaking, 
We're never going to get there and we're not going to get on the right path unless we're listening to God and walking with him. And generally speaking, for us to be there, God usually has to push us in. He has to prod us in that direction. We're like cattle. I don't want to go that way. First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 say this. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials because they make you partners with Christ in his suffering and you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. What did Peter just say? It's like trials are normal and natural. They're part of life. Don't be afraid of them. God is using them to accomplish things in your life. We want to escape from our circumstances when God wants us to live in them and learn from them. Number two, number one, God uses negative circumstances to take us out of our comfort zone, to help us enter into God's plan. Number two, God uses pain to get our attention. God uses pain to get our attention. Pain is a warning light, like the warning lights on your car dashboard. The light starts flickering and you go, oh, what is this? You know what, you gotta, and you have to go and figure out, take it to the shop and they gotta figure out. The light isn't the problem, but it's telling you that there is a problem and we gotta go figure it out. And sometimes that's the way God uses pain. It's our warning light. It's God saying, hey, I know you're a, one of my children. I know you love me but you're kind of going astray a little bit. Things aren't exactly right. You, you've allowed some things in your life maybe that shouldn't be there. You've become indifferent. You're allowing the culture to squeeze you into its mold instead of you letting me use you to be a changer of your culture. You know, Paul said in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, I beg you therefore, brethren, because of the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God doesn't want, the world is trying to press us into its mold, right? Ladies, you probably made jello. Some of you guys, you can't make hot water, so you can't make jello. But, you know, you, you, you make jello, you know, you take jello and you put it into a, a mold, and the jello comes out in the shape of the mold. Well, the world and Satan are trying to press you into his mold. And God says, don't let him do that. Be transformed into the mold I have for you. And sometimes, because we haven't quite got there, God sends some troubles our way just to shake us up and remind us, hey, you're starting to look like the world instead of looking like me. God's path, now listen to this, God's path to personal holiness 
is more important to him than your absence of pain. Did you get that? I'll say it another way. God loves you enough and so much that he's not going to leave you like you are. He wants to take you to where he wants you to be. And he is more concerned with your transformation than he is with your comfort and pleasure. Number three, God uses pain to teach us to depend on him. God uses pain and trouble and sorrow to teach us to depend on him. Listen to Psalm 119.71. Psalm 119.71 says this, this is the New Living Translation. My suffering was good for me, says the psalmist. My suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. My suffering was good for me. Why? Why, psalmist? Why was suffering good for me? Because it taught me to get back to the place where I learn from you and where I'm protected and where I'll grow. The decrees, the word of God. You know what a good example of that was? The Apostle Paul. Everybody in here knows the Apostle Paul. Probably, humanly speaking, the greatest Christian that ever walked the face of the earth. But guess what? Paul tells us in his writings, in, his, in the New Testament, uh, Paul tells us that there came a time where God gave him an unusual experience. He says he took him up to the third heaven. Paul says, I don't know if it was in the flesh or out of the flesh. I don't know how I got there. I don't know the deal. But I ended up in the third heaven, you know, the abode of God. And I saw things and I was allowed to see things that no human should be able to see. They were wonderful things. And they were so wonderful that I wasn't allowed to come back and tell you about them. But so that I wouldn't get a big head and I wouldn't lose my humility and I wouldn't become this arrogant person. Paul says, God gave me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. In other words, Paul said, in order to keep me humble, to keep me depending on God, to not think I'm such a big shot and don't need God, God gave me a suffering, a deformity. We don't know exactly what it was, but probably something physical. We may believe it might have been something with his eyes, a, a, a horrible, terrible disease that it, he couldn't see well and it, that it affected even, it, it caused him to have running sores and, and just made him, you know, abhorrent for people to even look at. And scripture says three times, Paul said, I prayed to God, I begged God to take it away. Begged God to take it away. And Paul says, but God wouldn't do that. But what God did say is my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. God said, look, Paul, I know it's a little tough, and it's going to be tough and tougher. But just remember this. I, I didn't give that to you because I, I, I'm upset or angry with you. I, I didn't get that, give that to you because I'm punishing you. But, but Paul, I want to use you. 
and, and I want you to be an instrument in the master's hands. And, and I, for me, Paul, the best way is for you to have this to keep you where I need you to be, where you'll always depend on me. And as long as you're depending on me, Paul, you'll change the world. And Paul did change the world as a human being. And then number four, why and how God uses pain and suffering. God allows pain to give you and me a ministry to others. God uses pain. He brings suffering. He allows pain sometimes into our lives for the sole purpose of us being an instrument that he will in turn use to help others. Listen to this. This is Paul himself saying, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, 3, 4, and 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3, 4, and 5, and I'm going to read it from a paraphrase called The Message. Now listen carefully. This is Paul talking, and he's talking about his infirmities and all the troubles, and you know all the troubles that Paul went through. He was shipwrecked, snake-bitten, let down in a basket, beaten up. And here's what Paul says about all that. We'd look at that and say, oh my God, what's wrong? What have I done? What are you doing? What? I, I'm confused. Here's what Paul said. All praise to the God and Father of our Master, Jesus the Messiah. Father of all mercy, God of all healing counsel, he comes alongside of us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, he brings someone else along who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. We have plenty of hard times that come from following the Messiah, but no more so than the good times of his healing comfort we get a full measure of that too. God says, hey, stop just thinking about yourself. Don't we tend to do that sometimes? We're all thinking about ourselves. We start hurting and we have problems, things, and, it, it, and Satan just wants us to start looking inward and focusing, oh, I don't deserve this and why is this happening? And God says, stop doing that. And look at the fact that maybe, just maybe, I've got a hurting soul coming down the road that I'm going to intersect with you. I've got a divine appointment and I'm bringing that person into your life and so that you can share with them the blessings and how to deal with that trouble the way I've shown you to deal with the trouble that I brought into your life. That's a noble cause. Why would we want to run from that? And number five, last thing, how God uses pain, suffering, trouble. Sometimes it's just plain and simple. God will go to whatever lengths he needs to go because he wants to spend more time with us and he wants us to spend more time with him. God wants a relationship with you and I, and he will go to extraordinary lengths to try to help us get that relationship, even when we're fighting and against it. You remember the story in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through the end of the chapter? Jesus and his entourage visits Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Bethany. 
And here he shows up, and it's not just Jesus. It's Jesus' disciples, and they probably had, uh, generally when Jesus traveled, there'd be 20, 30 people around him. And they all show up at Mary and Martha's. Now Martha, she's freaking out. She's looking, and here's these people. And she's going, whoa, I'm not prepared for this. Well, I got to check. She runs, checks the pantry. Oh, my goodness, I need pasta. I don't have enough sauce. I got to find pots and pans. She's running around trying to figure out how she's going to take care of and be hospitable, you know, to all these people and to Jesus. She loved Jesus. And she knew Jesus deserved the best. And she wanted to give him the best. And so she was getting all stressed out over that. And she looks over and she looks down over into the living room and she sees her sister Mary. And Mary's sitting down in the floor just wasting time with Jesus. And she chided Mary and Jesus. Lord, Master, look. That lazy Mary. Tell her to get in here and help me. And Jesus says, you're right. What in the world is she doing there? Mary, get yourself over. No, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are troubled with a lot of things. And a lot of good things, by the way. Wasn't anything wrong with what she was trying to do and wanted to do, but, but she missed it because Jesus said, you're troubled over many things. But listen, this is the key for us. But Mary has chosen the better thing. And what had Mary chosen? I'm going to spend time with Jesus because that's the best thing. And you know what? That's what Jesus wants for us. Now, I've said already in this message this morning, uh, Jesus knows you have to have a job and you have to work and you have kids and you have responsibilities. Right? He understands that. But he also knows that none of that's going to really matter if you don't spend time with him, if if we don't allow him to mold us and make us more like him, then we're never going to be the father we need to be. We can't be the husband we need to be. We can't be the employee we need to be. So then our responsibility, we got to find and prioritize our life and get out some of the stuff that doesn't really matter where we can spend time with Jesus because that's all he wants from us. He just wants us. I told you about my kid. A lot of you, you have kids and grandkids. You remember when your kids were, were smaller and they'd get a boo-boo? You know, they'd get a hurt. They'd be upset, they're crying and this this made and life's not going well. And, and you'd say, come here, come here, baby. Come on over here, come to Papa. Come on up here and you sit down on the sofa and that, that little one crawls up in your lap and just hugs on you and you hug it back. You know, you're, you're, the Papa's hugging them back and Papa's saying, it's okay. And all of a sudden, that little one is not crying so much. And he kind of calms down and he's not sobbing and sobering. And a calmness comes over him because he's, 
he or she is in Papa's lap. And when you're in Papa's lap, man, there's no better place to be. And you feel warm and calm and protected. Well, you know what? We got a Papa. We got a Papa. And I'm not trying to be irreverent. He, scripture says we crawl out to him, Abba, Father, which literally means Papa. And he just wants us. And sometimes he uses trouble to get us to this point to just crawl up in his lap and let him love on us and hug us. Because Hebrews tells us we have a faithful high priest who has felt all the things that we felt yet without sin so that he can understand us. And he does understand us and he just wants to spend more time with him. Will you do that? Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful that you take us just the way we are and where we are. And Lord, you're, you're willing, if we're willing and, and willing to accept and, and ask you, you'll just come alongside of us and love on us and begin to change us and mold us with your word and your wisdom. And so Lord, uh, I know in a room this size with this many people, there's some hurting souls here today. Would you help them to respond to the Holy Spirit that I know is speaking to them right now? And when this service is over, would they seek out someone, a pastor, go over here to the altar and just give you a chance to get reacquainted with them, to start loving on them and to remind them that it's going to be okay because I'm in control. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. 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 Hey, let's appreciate Dave. Will you do that? You know, one of the things you find when you read through the scriptures, when you keep your nose in this book and you study it, you just don't, you just don't read it. And reading it's good. Reading it's beautiful. But there is something about studying the Word of God. And when you study it and you, you look at some of these concepts like pain and suffering and sorrow, things like that, the Bible gives us the answers. Now, you don't have to like the answers. You know, if you were God, you, 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 you'd do it differently. I get it. But the good news is you're not God, and neither am I. And, and yet we have answers. And don't allow the pain and the sorrow and the suffering of life to, to push you away from the Lord. Don't do that. Keep these notes handy so that when the pain and the sorrow and the suffering come, and they come, and sometimes they're just like the waves, right? They just keep coming. Just let this message of truth just kind of rattle around in your mind. What God might be doing in, in your life, in your family life at that very, very moment. Father, I am so grateful for Dave that on such short, short notice he would come. Thank you, Lord, for the message that you brought uh, through him. Lord, as he said, may many make their way into the altar room. Let a pastor or an elder pray for them. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness. And I pray this in your name. Amen.